0: Because the journey, which is now um, three years, has been so horrendous. If you don't go silently, you are just continually attacked. So I ended up having
1: to resign from my post. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy, and this is the Locked Up Living Podcast, where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life.
2: We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time, for a fresh podcast.
1: So today's guest is Eden. Eden is a court reporter and has worked as a court reporter for for at least two years now. She attends virtual employment tribunals to take notes and share findings, predominantly in whistleblowing hearings, after having experienced the process of whistleblowing firsthand. Eden is from a a writing and creative background and has recently written a graphic novel to highlight the serious silent epidemic within society of workplace bullying to help educate others understand the horrendous traits of adult bullying. Welcome, Eden. We're really delighted you're able to join us today. It's good to have you on.
2: Hi, Eden. Very good to meet with you. And you've clearly got a very interesting uh, background there. Can we perhaps begin with you telling us something about yourself and your career pathway? Um, Particularly, I understand you've worked in education for a significant period.
0: Yes, I began my career in teaching in 2005. In a range of different creative studies. And um, after 17 years in the business, I have had to reinvent myself and take my career onto a different path.
2: So, what impact did that kind of experience have upon you?
0: Um, initially, I had really good relationships with colleagues and uh, management and built up lots of good, strong relationships, but it all changed when I moved into management and witnessed wrongdoing, um, the impact as I began raising um, whistleblowing to the people who I believed were supporting me uh, just began turning against me, allowing bullying and mobbing as they were part of the wrongdoing and didn't like being exposed. So it began with the textbook tactics, which are used time and time again by employers, as they know that they can get away with it and crush employees. Can
1: you say a bit about what those what the textbook tactics are that, that employers use? Yes.
0: Yeah, so, initially, when you go to places like HR, you believe you know you're taking problems to them. They'll um, we're supposed to work with policies and procedures. Uh, follow those and help you, um, you know, not have to put up with uh, unprofessional behaviours, especially in an establishment like that. Um, so, the initial thing that they mostly do is um, they'll not use the policies and procedures, and it gets to a point where you'll end up having to put a grievance in, say. Um, and some of the tactics are where you'll have meetings and they're supposed to have a minute taker or um, they won't actually take factual meeting minutes. They'll adapt them. Um, you can be gaslighted in meetings, which has happened on many occasions, not only to myself, but to others. Um, and they seem to delay your grievance. Um, and then now know that's because if you want to take a claim afterwards, it's time constraints. So if you want to go to employment tribunal, it's three, minute, three months less one day from the last event, so to speak. So if you put a grievance in, they don't bother with you, it goes six months, you're out of time. And that's literally what happens. They leave you to just your own devices and leave you to rot, basically that's some of the tactics
2: yeah that's a very good way of uh, describing it I mean my experiences are things getting lost in the midst of time so you begin by thinking oh this person's really quite interested in what's happened and they sound genuine and then it disappears for such a long time
0: yes definitely and and the other things of course um is behind closed doors and what you don't know what is happening is a lot of times they start performance reviews to try and um blacken your character which then can lead down to disciplinaries all the while the person who's off sick hasn't got a clue about this and so
1: it's just other tactics to eventually dismiss you that sounds pretty painful because uh, you know, if people are involved in whistleblowing, they're really, I think, trying to stand up for the integrity of the organisation. So I would assume have quite a strong sense of integrity. So to then be subject to malicious, malicious allegations or have your character blackened in some way, must it sounds pretty painful. It, it's, I, I can't
0: describe in words. It's just, it, it's like, it's like mourning a death because you've worked so hard. And a lot of us uh, have worked in careers for years and years, put us heart and soul into those careers for it then to be snatched away from you like that. It's like mourning a loss of your career Um, because unless you give in and sign things like settlement agreements to allow you to have a good reference, you literally get blacklisted.
2: So um, I, I'm just thinking, I think I heard you correctly. Did you say that, that this began to develop uh, when you moved away from straight teaching into a more management role? Was that the way it went? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you cope with these terrible experiences?
0: Well, initially I am quite broad-shouldered, um, but over the time... Uh, I didn't realise how detrimental it was to my mental health. And I suppose up to a certain point, I always believed that I'd got the establishment behind me because I was what I was raising was um, imperative to the business. I thought they'd want to know things like that. Um, it was only once I started realising um, how ill I was getting, no intervention was happening. And then my grievance wasn't even being looked into that it really took effect of me. Um, Not only with, I was passing out, my mental health was shocking, I wasn't sleeping. I was having nightmares. um, I just withdrew into myself and became so um, antisocial. I didn't want to mix with anybody. Uh, And I, I started having panic attacks, yeah.
2: Yeah, sounds like a terrible experience.
0: I I wouldn't wish it on my worst, enemy. I really wouldn't.
2: Hmm. So how did you get yourself out of that that kind of state?
0: Um, Well, to be honest, uh, I'm still in it. Not as bad, but I I am still in it. Because the journey, which is now um, three years, has been so horrendous if you don't go silently you are just continually attacked Um, so I ended up having to resign from my post
2: I'm I'm very sorry to hear about that it does sound absolutely awful and uh, I can only imagine the kind of sense of Isolation you must have felt during that period of time.
0: I, I just I, I just couldn't believe it, but the loneliness is the biggest mm. factor because you can't talk to anybody about it. Your doctor, maybe, um, who can refer you to mental health services, but there's nobody to talk to about how you've been treated as a whistleblower.
1: And presumably, other people had witnessed the same things that you were you were raising, but hadn't chosen to speak up, so yes yeah, um, not only on the management
0: level, which is really um frightening to say the least because it means people are turning a blind eye to <laughs> terrible things that are happening uh sometimes you know and speaking to other whistleblowers we're talking life and death and people are turning the blind eye on the ground floor level um I think the problem is people see how others are treated and don't speak out and as much as you know we've all had friends that we believe would speak out for us but don't uh, and and to be honest, now I've come through through this journey, I understand why not. I don't think I could either. Um, so,
2: thank you. Uh, subsequently, your career took a different path, didn't it? And you're obviously a very creative and resourceful person, despite all these kind of difficulties that you've had to endure. So, what what did you take from that and what did you go on to develop?
0: Okay, Um, obviously, I I didn't understand initially about bullying in the workplace. Um, You know, getting the foresight of that made me realise that I had to put something together to educate other people. Um, You know, we talk about bullying in schools. uh, and there's a big drive and campaign to stop that, but there's nothing really on an adult level about bullying and how we stop that. And, and that's the reason why I wrote the graphic novel, to hopefully educate others. Because a lot of people do not realise the behaviours that they're enduring is bullying, and they get mobbed by lots of people because it's, It turns into a culture of toxicness, that's all I could say. Um, And I think if once you've got an institution that's got that such in a big way, it's hard to stop it.
1: Well, we know that cultures of organizations don't change very easily, even when the personnel change. So the culture of an organization, no matter what it is tends to live on without concerted effort to address that so that's that's not surprising but I'm just thinking that I think you know probably quite a lot of listeners will think well there's there's legislation to protect whistleblowers isn't there (laughs) Uh, there should be it's called uh,
0: PIDA P-I-D-A that's Public Interest Disclosure Act isn't it There is an APPG for whistleblowers uh, campaign at the moment to try and get an office for a whistleblower um, so that, you know, people can not do disclosures internally because that's the problem. If you disclose internally in an institution that, you know, quite obviously aren't interested in the truth, (laughs) Um that is when retaliation starts, and you know you can always tell these institutions because uh, there'll be a massive turnover of staff every year, just in and out because they're not
1: dealing with the situation. subsequently, you've set up a support group for whistleblowers, haven't you can you can you tell us how you noticed there was a gap there that needed filling?
0: Yeah, uh I suppose once I started researching. Um, about uh, bullying in the workplace and then realising that I'd made disclosures and, you know, the whistleblowing. I'd, I looked into the law um, and it was just going on social media, asking, you know, anybody who's a whistleblower. Um, you'd get the odd ones putting stuff on social media, but there's quite a fear factor of people speaking out once they've. So Whistleblowing because they are um, further silenced by threats, you know, of defamation. <laughs> and even though you know what's true, unless you've got 100% solid evidence, you've always got that fear that, you know, somebody's going to come after you for <laughs> defamation. Um, so I'd, I'd put the feelers out and realised that there wasn't that one-to-one connection for people like myself on this journey which is very lonely to speak to others um so I just set one up so we could talk to each other
1: I wonder if it would um help listeners to hear about some of the prominent examples of whistleblowers where a lot of the information is in the public domain so because I think people might be quite shocked to hear about some of the kinds of things that have uh, disclosures that have been made in the public interest and yet and you would think that any organization would be glad to have this information brought to their attention yes, definitely um
0: I <laughs> mean where do I start? There's quite a lot in in the uh public domain at the moment um we've got i'd say the most prominent one at the moment is dr chris day uh who was a junior doctor He whistleblow. um is he employment tribunals in 2018 and he whistleblowing about you know junior doctors getting left alone in um <laughs> and um he was retaliated against had his employment tribunal and as happens with a lot of whistleblowers and you know I think there needs to be a podcast on the employment tribunal process itself because <laughs> that's a different story He was, um, they endure cost threats and we're talking thousands and thousands and it makes a lot of whistleblowers have to, down tools, chuck the towel in, you know, withdraw, so to speak. Um, But Dr Chris Day um, is a very clever man and realised that something wasn't right and we we all are on the um, knowledge now of DSORs, which is like subject access request. And through that, um, he came to light that, you know, the barristers who um, kind of barter with the without prejudice discussions, um, and he, he's at the moment just had another employment tribunal. He's uncovered so much. Um, is, if you Google Dr. Christie whistleblower, the story is huge. He's got a crowd justice page. I think there's he's got <laughs> thousands of followers and people that have, you know, donated to keep him going. Um, he's a massive one. And then we have um, so Alison McDermott is a cellarfield whistleblower um basically she was brought into Sellafield again (laughs) toxic workplace um and she unveiled quite a lot of bullying homophobia um and when she put her report in she got sacked (laughs) for putting this report in and highlighting actually who was at fault and um She had an employment tribunal and it was horrendous, absolutely. How she was treated was disgraceful. She's just won, um, I think it's 13 grounds on appeal uh, for an employment appeal tribunal who will look at her grounds now and if they overturn it, she'll get another employment tribunal. The problem is, and a lot of... Uh, Listeners will not know this. Uh, Employment tribunals are not recorded. So there's no evidence of what goes on in those tribunals. Um, People take notes, of course, but it's against the law to record it. And the judge's notes are what determines the outcome. A lot of whistleblowers are having horrendous treatments within employment tribunals they're having to uh, complain about judges and it's just a, a it seems like a vicious circle where nothing's getting done so um the biggest one that, that's still going at the moment and this man has been uh going and his employment tribunal for 10 years isn't pete jackson So he's an ex-murder detective from Greater Manchester Police. I've sat in his employment tribunal since um, I think it was December last year. It might even be November. So we're nearly a year on since his employment tribunal started. And the disclosures he's made on cronyism, has been shocking to the core for even me to witness and we're seeing now uh, I think the recent um, report that's come out about the Manchester bombing the second report confirms what he's been disclosing um, that people were putting jobs that weren't trained up to it um, and he was retaliated against and the man had a 31 year clear career, you know, won awards and stuff, and this is how it's ended, Mm. purely because he was a whistleblower. Um, So Peter Duffy, I'd say, is the gentleman, he's from the NHS as well, I can't remember when his case was, but he's just brought a book out um, which is titled Whistle in the Wind Life, Death, Detriment and Dismissal in the NHS and basically he's gone through the journey that all the whistleblowers go through um so they're just some there's loads more I could sit here all day and talk to you about the high profile ones um but as I say I think that's for another podcast in employment tribunals. I
1: think what's really shocking as you're as you're telling us about those different um different accounts um Eden is the is the amount of time that people are ending up caught up in this, which, you know, presumably that's taking a massive toll on people's, not only their mental health, but also their physical health if they're living with stress for, you know, up to 10 years ahead in one of those. You know, you can only think about the impact that speaking up has on people's quality of life, really, and and potentially the health, health impact for the future if you're living with chronic stress for, for 10 years. Oh, massively.
0: Um, You know, a lot of whistleblowers end up on sickness. They lose their homes and this is reality. Some people have ended up on the streets because they've lost their homes. Um, And the mental toll it takes on you. I've known whistleblowers that have committed suicide. Because they cannot take the anxiety and stress that it causes. You are in fight or flight mode all the time. And from going from whistleblowing and losing your job, then doing the process leading up to employment tribunals, going through tribunals, you know, there's never a rest. A lot of people get cancers because they are so. Stress. It's horrendous. Mental health wise, I can honestly say I've hit rock bottom at times where I thought, this is it, I can't take it anymore. I talked to other whistleblowers who are in exactly the same place now. And, you know, I think that's having the group allows me to help these people along, to give them hope that there is something afterwards. But as you say, you know, mine was three years till I got employment tribunal. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. We're talking some eight, 10 years, 12 years. It, it's life changing. And you never, a lot of whistleblowers end up with complex PTSD. Um, And, it, you know, I, I'm lucky I've gone on a different path. There's many that don't.
1: You're very powerful
2: um very powerful to hear you, hear you speak it, it resonates quite strongly with uh, me Eden I mean I can remember long periods of time when it felt uh, to me as if they and it kind of became a they in my mind were out to destroy me um which which was almost akin in my thinking at the time to wanting to kill me um, because that's how it uh, felt it's a it's a desperate uh, experience
1: horrendous horrendous and I guess for everyone who's involved in, you know, we, we see a lot about the the very big cases where there's been loss of life, for instance, or risk of loss of life that could have been prevented. But I guess for all of those, there are numerous other instances where whistleblowers are raising concern about practices that have the potential to damage employees or clients or members of the public. But they perhaps don't get the same media attention as um, when there's a risk of, of death. No. It's
0: from all different uh sectors, you know, education, police, NHS is the biggest, of course, and the amount, there's a a group um, called 54,000 Doctors on Twitter, um, because what happens with a lot of NHS staff, if they raise concerns, the people that retaliate against them um, not only make up lies, like we've said about, you know, performance, um, they'll they'll actually um, report them to their regulator as though they've done something wrong. And then, of course, that's double stress because then they get investigated in fitness-to-practice hearings. Um, and, you know, we're not talking we're talking hundreds and hundreds we're talking doctors nurses social workers there's loads of people that are going
1: through this simply because they've raised um the truth so why don't organizations welcome the actions of these employees speaking up about bad practice you would uh, you would hope that organizations would want to be their best um I can only say that I believe
0: it's because um, organisations don't like, especially those at the top, <laughs> who don't know what's happening on the shop floor until it's too late, don't like the exposure because of course it, it shows their feelings as well. So you get this chain events of, you know, it's passed up and it's covered up that's how it goes yeah
1: what what do you think is the public perception of whistleblowers well for a long time um
0: whistleblowers have been considered grasses you know um i don't know why that is the perception because you know these people (laughs) i'm quite a very open and honest person with With good ethics and integrity. And I just don't understand why the public wouldn't want to know the truth. I mean, once the public start knowing the truth um, through podcasts and things like that and high profile cases, it's shocking. It really is shocking. Do
1: you think um, your sense of integrity and ethics? might be uh, um, I, I have a feeling that that's perhaps common to to whistleblowers generally and i wonder if that's part of part of their downfall as a belief in the ethics and um integrity of the institution i know somebody uh, a colleague once said to me i don't know why you believe that organizations will do what's right um but i think when all these all these um policies and procedures are in place you kind of hope that there's a, a desire to protect what's right, um, but maybe that's the downfall of whistleblowers having that expectation.
0: Oh, massively. I, I never believed that the institution that I worked for wouldn't have the integrity to investigate what I was disclosing. Um, but speaking to all the other whistleblowers, it's exactly the same. I do believe most of the public haven't got the foggiest that this is actually happening all behind closed doors because by the time it's happened most whistleblowers are silenced so it never comes out into the public domain
2: So what kind of practices do organisations engage in to silence whistleblowers
0: Um, Well a lot of um, whistleblowers that I've spoken to Have stated you know they were in unions and believe that the unions would back them up but it seems that the unions would work with the employer to um, work out a settlement agreement um, signing and uh, signing that settlement agreement that no nothing would be said further down the line giving them references so that they can get other jobs um so that's one of the tactics and like i said as soon as um the whistleblower doesn't agree with that and will state that they're going to take an industrial claim for instance that's when the targeting starts um and for a whistleblower to have that on top every email that you get every threat that you get it's just piles up on top of what they've already experienced from disclosure within, you know.
2: I, I I found that I was became so concerned that everything I did would be uh, thought to be wrong that actually my number of errors and mistakes increased.
0: Yeah, it does put you on the edge, definitely. Um, I found, and a lot of the other whistleblowers have said the same. You become very distrustful. Um, You don't do your job as you normally would because you're watching your every
2: step. Quite. So why do you think institutional betrayal is so hurtful? Um,
0: As I've mentioned before, I think when you've worked for something for so long and put your heart and soul into it, to then be dragged through hell, and that's all I can explain it as. Um, it makes you as a human being think well, most employers that I've come across, where whistleblowers, like I said, from every walk of life, it, it's corrupt. And it, as a human being, it's shocking to think that there's so much corruptness going on. Um, in every sector Um, and the regulators for each of those you know banking education uh, the police regulators all the whistleblowers have said the same they've disclosed stuff and they've not done anything about it so you you feel like you are totally on your own there's nowhere to speak out
1: it sounds. Um, I was also thinking, you know, from your account, there's there's an awful lot of public sector organisations um, here, and I think, you know, just thinking about the high esteem that the NHS is is held in by the British public, you know, if, if you put aside kind of like people's fears of what's happening to the nhs with the impact of austerity but as you know generally people hold the nhs in very high esteem so i think it's it's hard to hear that the nhs might be riddled with corruption and it is you know we all love
0: our nhs through through the pandemic we've all been still clapping them and and i believe the people merely on the shop floor are really good genuine people Um, But there is a lot of um, corruption and covering up in the NHS massively through trusts. Um, Like I've said about Dr Chris Day, um, (laughs) you know, his last bit of his employment tribunal, um, one of the directors, I can't remember who it was, when he was ordered to disclose evidence he, he went in and, and deleted thousands of emails you know? <laughs> um it, it shows the lens people will go to to cover up and it's not just the nhs the police have been exactly the same um i know a lot of uh whistleblowers in education they're all saying exactly the same um But as I've said, it's all behind closed doors. Um, So for me, I get asked the question quite a lot of, if you could go back, what would you do? Um, And I always said to people at the moment, I would never whistleblow internally. Um, And even to the regulator, I think is a waste of time. If you really want to... um, get the um action taken i believe um reporting to a media outlet is the best way at the moment um you know journalists have if you find a good journalist who um specializes in like education or and there's there's lots of journalists out there you know they have to keep everything confidential until you give the okay anyway um, but having that outlet to be able to speak to somebody freely um, as a whistleblower with hopefully the outcome of them putting the organisation on the spot and asking those questions, for me, that's the only way forward at the
1: moment. see that very clearly demonstrated, couldn't we, with the recent um, dispatches or Panorama where they discuss the, where you see NHS settings where they've passed their CQC, inspections and then months later um that's some undercover journalist reveals shocking abuses of exactly. patients within within them so we can see that regulatory bodies often don't work do they no
0: no
2: so you you've hinted at this already eden but it, it doesn't sound to me as if you believe that tribunals are the pathway to justice for people in the situation you're describing?
0: Not at all. Absolutely not. I've recently read for whistleblowers, um, the statistics, I think it's either 2019 or 20, only 3% of cases are won in whistleblowing claims. Um and, uh, the frightening experience having your and I can only really describe it as character assassination. Um, on top of what you've already experienced in an employment tribunal, is horrendous. Um, it's not fit for purpose for whistleblowers at all. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, employment tribunals were for you know it was supposed to be informal for the general public. It is such a legal-driven show now. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So my task, if nothing else, at the moment, I I believe somewhere else I've uh, read, you know, between 650 and 1,000 cases are brought to uh, tribunals every week. (laughs) That's massive. Uh, But I believe it's just a money-making scam
1: at the moment. I really do.
0: mean
1: yeah, here, you've you've you know you've got your own very painful story of institutional betrayal, Eden, and you're also very immersed in lots of other people's very painful stories. How how do you cope with this? What are you doing to keep yourself supported and nourished? <laughs> um,
0: you're right. It, it it cuts me when I speak to whistleblowers or I sit in the employment tribunal and see the horrendous activities taking place, the anxiety I feel is overwhelming. Um, sometimes I've had to come out of hearings and I've been physically sick with what I've witnessed and the way I feel. Um, the group talking to others who are, you know, Within the group, we've got people that are just at the beginning of the journey, some midway through, some at the end, some further well at the end. And talking to how them, how feelings affect you and how to cope with that is the best way uh, to help you. Um, Some people said to me, you know, you've gone through it now. Put it behind you. Move on. Don't revisit it. And I can honestly say I can't move on from it. I can't, as a human being, have the thought of the people going through that without any help. Um, So if I can make change by voicing what's going wrong, I think the message I want to put out to people at the moment is, you know, employment tribunals are not your... um, justice girl, shall we say. Um and I'd avoid them massively at the moment until um things change.
1: Sorry to hear that. Um you know, very powerful but painful story that you've that you've shared with us today. I'm really grateful to you for coming on and sharing about your experiences. Thank you yeah. for having
2: me. Yeah, thanks very much, Great. you're, you're tremendously courageous and obviously created something enormously important in this uh, group that you've been uh, talking about. Thanks very much indeed.
1: Since we recorded this podcast with Eden, um, Chris Day has lost his employment tribunal and Justice for Whistleblowers is in the process of setting up a podcast where they will interview actual whistleblowers um, that they've been involved in supporting. And we look forward to, to hearing that.